from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jen Riker, and I'm a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I am a writer and director. Uh, today we're going to talk about a topic that we actually have made reference to often in earlier episodes, and we want to talk a bit more about it. It's something that I think a lot of times you come to take for granted, and I think perhaps we have in some of our conversations in the past, and that is objective and obstacle and what that means and how it can help you to build a performance and really how it is in many ways central to building uh, an effective performance. And I, I know I know one of the most interesting and, and, and one of the best experiences I had was shortly after graduating from grad school, I went to direct a show at Fordham University for the uh, non-theater major theater group. And we were early on in rehearsal and I asked someone, so what do you want in this scene? And they looked at me and said, what do you mean, what do you want in this, what do I want in this scene? And uh, that's what we're talking about with objective and obstacles related to that. And again, I think it was something that I realized in that, uh, in that case, how much I came to take for granted as just a given in what we, in, in the work that we do. And it was actually a really amazing experience to have to revisit that and why it's important. And so that's a bit of, of what we're going to be doing today. And the idea of objective and obstacle is really a central part of the Stanislavski system and all of its offshoots, including the method in America, and almost all of modern acting really incorporates this idea. And it's based in in a very broad sense on the idea that you don't go through your life feeling things and behaving things. You go through your life wanting things and trying to do something about that. And then the feelings and the behaviors that you have are the outcropping of the ways in which those things that you want are either thwarted or succeed. So essentially, in a very broad sense, to start us off in the conversation, an objective is, for a character, what you want in a scene. And the obstacle is, what is standing in your way of getting it. So in the very broad sense, that's what it is. But there are very many different ways that different people have about how they find useful objectives and how they uh, set them to work in in rehearsal and in performance, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Let's start talking about objectives. Why is it important to have an objective? I think it's important to have an objective because it gives you it gives you as the actor and the, well, and the character something to do, an act, an action versus something. We just touched on this, but something to feel. <laughs> um, a lot of times, especially growing up, I think you get you, you're you know directed or you have this understanding of a scene that you know someone's sad in the scene or you're sad. Show me what sad is, and I think that the older I've gotten, the more I've learned about how to actually you know creatively <laughs> play out a scene. Is you need sad is again and and an, is what happens out of trying to do something and it either does not happen or the way you want it to happens the way you want it to and there's. I don't know, displeasure around and, that, but go ahead. Yeah, well, that's emotions are not a story, right. and ultimately people are coming to watch a story, and so they're coming to watch people do things, not mm-hmm. feel about them. And so you know, which would be more like 
a poem or something. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's... So the objective is ultimately what people are coming to watch. Right. And if you don't have one, then they'll well, notice. <laughs> and having an objective is... I mean, it's inherent in the job description for an actor, that you are an actor, you're not a behavior, you're not a feeler, and that you know, your, your feelings are basically the results of having an objective conflict with an obstacle and the feelings are the results of those two things in conflict and how you respond to them. So the reason it's important to have an objective is for all the things we're talking about that it's if if we were only interested in the feelings and rather than the action, I I, I would submit that watching a play would not even be necessary. We would simply read the play and understand how these characters would possibly be feeling. One of the most important things about objectives, I think, is not only to bring the scene to life, but to bring the scene alive specifically for the actors who are engaged in that play. Because actors will pick different objectives depending on a variety of of, of circumstances. And So you go to see a play to see a particular actor have a particular objective executing this play. And I think a big part of it, too, is, again, that when you're talking about the verisimilitude, the lifelikeness of the role that you're playing, trying to make a character seem real, again, there are some, uh, you know, some people who, the way they try to make things seem real, they just try to be really casual at everything, you know, and they just... You know, if they're casual about it, it's got to seem real. Which, actually, I know very few people who talk like that, um, and it's not interesting to, especially interesting to watch, and certainly not especially interesting to follow over the course of two hours of a play. But I think critically important, we are all sitting here right now trying to do something. As we talk to each other, as we talk at the microphone, as we're walking down, even walking down the street, you're trying to get to the place that you're going. Life is entirely about, well, not entirely about, but uh, but what people do in their lives are things. They do things. And, and that's the thing that we're conscious of. And the rest of what happens in our lives sort of flows out of those things that we're trying to do. And so that's why if you give your character an objective and focus on trying to do that thing they want, you are going to be acting much more like they would act in an actual person in that situation would act in a scene because the person would in fact act and do something in a scene rather than sit around and try to show the people around them how they feel about it. Unless that's what they're actively trying to do in the scene. <laughs> to follow. I, yeah. <laughs> I remember when uh, it became crystal clear to me was I was doing, I don't even remember when this was, but I was doing a scene that involved my character being drunk. And of course... You know, growing up or whatever, half the place you see, people, like, in my head, I'm thinking, how do you act drunk? How do I feel drunk? How, how What does drunk mean? So, of course, you do all the stereotypical, <laughs> like, stumbling and, you know, whatever. And uh, the director talked to me and he said, first of all, you're you're the character. You're, you're being the character. You're not being what people think about the character. You're not being what people see when they walk in the room and see the character. You are the character. And I can guarantee you, <laughs> 95% of the time, Drunk people are trying to act sober. <laughs> they're trying to convince everyone in the room that they're sober. They're trying to be, they're trying to do sober. They're trying to show you that they're sober. They're not trying to, and it, that, that somehow crystallized the whole idea of objective for me. Of that it's, uh, you're not, you're not, you're not being, you're not trying to portray what people think of the character. The, the other reason that having uh, an objective, I think, is, is important for an actor is, is 
emotions ultimately are unreliable. Even if you're interested in being emotional in a scene, they can be unreliable. And uh, if you set out to cry in a scene or be angry in a scene or to feel a specific way, that how you get there may or may not make sense and the result of that may or may not make sense in the context of the scene that's happening. It may or may not, you may or may not be successful in achieving whatever that result is of, of an emotion you're trying to evoke. But objectives, there's sort of a, a, a pure way to, to make sure that whatever work you're doing is truthful. Because if you're attempting to cry, if you're attempting to be sad, if you're attempting to be angry or stern, that may or may not be there for you um, from night to night, particularly if you're, if you're working on a run of a play. But if you know when you walk on stage every night, rather than trying to cry or be upset or be stern or whatever these results, uh, emotional results are, if you know you're going to try to do one specific action at a particular time, and then all you have to do is execute that action and let the, re- uh, the emotional results be there for you. It, it simplifies an actor's job, and I think whatever your emotional results from that are, they're then truthful because they come out of you really trying to do something rather than an actor really trying to appear a certain way. And I think actually that brings up something that uh, that is in addition to an objective helping you find your character, etc. It also really makes you a good scene partner. Because that idea of getting up there night to night to night to night, it gets awfully hard if it's two people up there in a vacuum trying to do their individual performances and hoping that it fits into the play. Whereas if you're up there with an objective, and specifically, sometimes this is not appropriate, but I think most of the time it is, that it's an action, it's an objective, it's something that you want the other person to do. And they are in the room trying to make you do something they want you to do. That is going to create conflict, which is essentially what people come to see in theater, and also really provides an interplay and a moment-to-moment thing where you can just take what is coming at you and throw back, not randomly, but with the idea of this is what you came at me with, I know what I want, and this is how I'm going to push it back at you. And it really allows you, because it becomes a thesis statement for what am I trying to do in this section of the play, and actually that's worth saying that an objective can apply to a scene in a play, or it can apply to a piece of a scene in a play. Well, something that Tim said, which I think is important, is that with your objective, you need to be really trying for your objective. Not seem like you're trying. Act like you're trying. Mm -hmm. You need to legitimately be... (laughs) I mean, it's just the phrase. You have to actually really, really try to do what your objective is. You know, if it's if it's something, you know, to get someone to leave a room, you have to actually try to get them to leave the stage. Not pretend like you kind of want to drag them over by the door, or, you know, whatever it is. You have to really, really do it. it and otherwise, it's your objective is to seem like you're trying rather than to actually try whatever it is. Well, I think the important part, too, is that not only does it energize a, a scene, I think, and, and make it... Uh, lifelike to have specific objectives. But it also, in my opinion, it makes the actor's job 
easier. I mean, particularly with complex scenes, there's a lot of variables that you need to deal with and need to account for to make a scene come to life. But if, rather than trying to carry all the weight of a particular character and all the variables at every moment of the play in, in some, sort of, some sort of academic way in which you have these knowledge, you have a knowledge of all of the facts about the, this character. If you can simplify those things to specific actions that you can do, I'm trying to get this person out of the room, and then physically try to get the person out of, out of the room, that's a lot simpler and, and, and more actable, I think, than trying to account for this character's entire lifetime at all <laughs> moments in some sort of nebulous academic way. And the reason I think finding objectives are important, Kit, you were talking about it being two people coming at each other. Particularly the reason I think objectives are, are important specifically in rehearsal is because often I may understand a scene or I may understand a play that I'm working on in, in, in an intellectual level, an emotional level. I may respond to it, appreciate it. But I may not understand how it really works going into rehearsal. And I think that's okay. And what's my favorite part of rehearsal is coming in and picking specific objectives, not knowing if that's going to be the thing that's going to unlock the play, and trying with the you know trying out what those objectives are going to be. And you know we, we've done uh, I think a, a podcast previously on, on improvisation. You know, there's a million ways you can experiment with a scene to try to unlock a play. But if you select for a rehearsal, not a specific objective, but if you've become committed to the tone of that scene, if you've become committed to the emotional result of that scene, that no matter what happens, I need to be sad on this line, or no matter what happens, this entire piece needs to be intense and, for lack of a better term, yelly. Um, <laughs> if, if you've committed to that emotional result, you're going to have a difficult time, I think, unlocking what you don't know about the play. And I think the favorite part, I think, for every actor is discovering in the play, in the live performance of doing it, what's underneath that play and what really makes it come alive. And if, if you're not picking those specific objectives and, and I think trying them out and seeing what works and trying to unlock that play, I really don't think you're ever going to get much more beyond, even no matter how long you rehearse, much more beyond doing sort of a, a, a talented reading of it. That you, it's not going to take right. you much past what anybody would get from reading that play, and you'll never surprise yourself, which I, right. which I actually think is is the most fun part of acting. I don't know, but like when you're really committed something, to having the discoveries and and being surprised by what you find and what you see in the other person and stuff like that, where if it's so choreographed, you you learn nothing. Yeah, I also find that during the rehearsal process, you don't like as long as you commit to one thing. Just commit to it. It's going to open up what actually might be the objective in a long run. You might not know what it is right away. I think, I remember we worked on a play, Kit and I, of one of Jen's play, Jen Brecker's plays, that, um, and I remember we were doing a scene, and, all of a sudden, and it was a, a scene with me and basically two strangers, and the third stranger that comes in was a definite threat. And I remember we were doing this scene, and I, <laughs> we're, it kind of, sort of, sort of kind of freely improving in a way. And I remember halfway through, I thought, I have no desire to be here anymore, so I just left the room. Because I thought, if I was truly in physical danger, what I would want to get is out of there. So I left, and that basically ended the improv, ended the scene. And what I learned that day is, 
the scene goes on. The scene on paper goes on. So clearly, I can't leave. <laughs> clearly, there's something bigger going on that the character wants or needs than right at that moment they need to get out of there. And by committing to the, committing to leaving the room and realizing I couldn't do that, it opened up the whole world of, okay, well, what do I need? What do I want? Because I can't do that, and uh, so something else must be going on. How do you come up with objectives? For, for me, I try to pick objectives, at least initially in rehearsal, that are simple, that are in action that can be executed, that I will that I will know when it is being executed. If I you know want love from someone, which is a common <laughs> a common yeah, action I think in, in, in a lot of scenes, just wanting that person to love me is that's nice to know that's what I want, but then picking an objective that needs to be. Uh, I think something specific. So I try to make the objective not only something that energizes me. I guess maybe I should back up that for me is the most important thing. Whatever the objective is, it has something. It has to be something that energizes me, the actor. Because if it's not something that's of much interest to me as an artist in that play, you're not going to try very hard. Yeah, I'm not going to try. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually yeah. that, that's 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 actually absolutely that's absolutely true. So it, it has to be something that, that's energizing me, and then it's something that I need to be able to physically accomplish, I think, so I will know whether I have achieved it or not. If I simply... And, th- and that's why I think we get back to the, the word specific. If it's, I need love, well, I don't know how I'll ever achieve love. You know, maybe maybe I will, maybe I won't. It, it's just sort of a nebulous concept. So if my objective is, I need to get this person to hold me. I need to get this person to kiss me. I need to get this person to give me the most important object in the world which they're holding right now. To trust me. Those are physical. Yeah. It's physical, it's achievable, it's specific, and you know when you've accomplished it. It's not that sparkle in their eye. Exactly. (laughs) I'll just know. I'll be able to tell. But that idea of the specific and achievable objective I think is so important, especially during the more exploratory parts of rehearsal Mm -hmm. where you know, you are not already stayed, you aren't already blocked and know you have to be sitting at a certain place in a moment. It becomes, it can be especially useful in those places where you really can act on the other person. I think something that uh, that is helpful about that is it's something that you can do to the other character, but also something that you can do to the other actor. Something that you can make the other actor do, like hold you, like I want power in this scene, I'm in their office, I want them to give me their seat behind their desk. I mean, there are things like that, that again, and and certainly I know I've, you know, I am primarily a a director, and so you you talk to actors, you say, well, what do you want in this scene? Again, I I want love. Well, how do you know? Well, I think I'll see it in their eye. (laughs) But that becomes so subjective that you can let yourself off the hook. You can say, oh, I think I got it, or I didn't get it. Whereas, if they, whether they've come over to kiss you or not, that's something either you have or you don't. Well, and, and some people will say, like, I, I want them to say that they love me. But if it's not in the script, unless the director has set up, you know, a situation where you're allowed to improv or something like that, it's never going to happen. So, you, you, you know, no matter how it... No matter how hard you try, you know it's not going to ultimately happen, so you're not actually going to try. Well, something actually that, an exercise that I've given actors often, which is really interesting, is when you do something, like to say to an actor, you need to get the other person to say, I love you. And I have told the other actor that they can go off script once. 
in the room. If they want, if there's something they have to say that is not in the script, they can say it once, and your job is to make sure that thing is, I love you, or whatever the other thing is. And I think that it's interesting, and I find that that is often very helpful, because it, it on one hand, um, again, gives a very specific objective, but then it also makes you really have to be aware of the other person, um, which I think objectives very often do. But in that case, it's because you know you have only this one window. So you not only have to get what you want, but you have to get what you want without sending them off, sending the other person off on a path that's going to get them to want to use their one one line, one free line for something other than that. And that actually gets a little bit into an obstacle, which we'll talk about a little bit later, the, the way that the, that the two things interplay. A couple of things I think about what makes an objective helpful is, I mean, I think... Again, we, we keep talking about but specific is really important. Uh, it actually is, is worth saying that objective actually goes by a few different names because it was originally Stanislavski in Russian. I don't know what the Russian word was, but it's been translated a few different ways. And so it's sometimes referred to as an action, which actually Tim has referred to it as an action a few times, or an intention. Uh, and, ops, and and, uh, and uh, objective. I mean, all of those are, are the same thing. And, I mean, actually, if you take the three of them together, it actually paints a pretty clear picture of actually what it is when you say it's an objective and an action and an intention. That gives a, a pretty clear uh, sense. But there are s- some schools of thought, a lot of schools of thought, that that say that, a, that an action should just be a verb, you know, to intimidate, to entice, to seduce is the one that people go back to all the time. I find that it's much more useful to have an objective that's really tied to the circumstances of the play. That it's more than simply the verb, but I want this person to I mean like to, to give me the brooch they're wearing. I want this person I mean, and that's the really specific and and achievable thing, but even the more theoretical things, which is, I want this person to join my fight against this other character. Uh, You know, I I find that it's much more useful to have it be something that's actually tied into the world and the circumstances of the play rather than simply a verb in a vacuum. I don't know what what you guys think about that, because I know there are many schools of thought about that. Well, I find that, like, where I always came up against a wall with the verbs was, like, say it was too serious to use that, because you hear that a lot. It's the same thing. How, 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 am I, how and how am I going to know that it that works for me to get whatever it is that I want that I don't know what I want, because all I'm doing is seducing. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, for me personally, it never, it, unless I knew why I was doing it, what I was trying to get from it, it didn't, it seemed, it landed in the vague area. That and I was, really say, seduced for some reason is something people always come back to, and I'm not sure why. 80% of the time when I've heard someone say I'm working on seducing someone, it consists largely of having this sort of sexy look in their eye and kind of bobbing their head around while they talk. I mean, but I'm not kidding. I can always tell when someone's playing seducing, like and it never seems to work. Oh. <laughs> I think the thing about selecting an objective is it has to be something, as I said before, it has to be something that energizes you. And I like what you said about it being tied specifically to the circumstances of the play in the sense that your action is something achievable 
that is in the context of what these two actors are going through. It's not a general, you know, I want to seduce. That's still a sort of general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to you know, fill in the blank. That is still a sort of a general action that may or may not be tied to the circumstance of the play, which again goes back to why you need to pick things that are, are specific. Um, I don't mind necessarily the, the selection of a verb, and sometimes I will do that. But the, the thing that I, I think a lot of actors get caught up in, in, in is that there's a lot of different terminology that, that is interchangeable. And I don't think actors should necessarily allow themselves to get caught up in, in the specific dogma of you must pick a specific verb, a one-word verb, and until you have done that, you cannot act in this scene and you are not a good actor. Um, you know, I, one of the most refreshing things that I was ever taught by one of the best acting teachers I ever had the pleasure of working with was Doug Mostyn, was he would say, pick a, a, a verb, and if you cannot find a verb, if your vocabulary for whatever reason fails you, literally find the sound and the physical action and express that prior to doing the scene that is close to what that need is. And that was really refreshing to say, okay, I don't need to literally have a thesaurus Mm -hmm. and find a specific word, one word that somehow encapsulates what I'm going to try to do in this play um, or in in this scene. Because there's lots of times as the actor, you're exploring, in terms of exploratory work, it's not all regimentedly, uh, I don't know if that's a word, it's, it's not all regimentedly set out for you in, in, in like a book report, and you're, you're attempting to find your way and stumble your way through it. If you have this great sense of what you think you need to accomplish in this scene, I don't think you should stop, by, stop yourself from attempting to accomplish it in that rehearsal because you didn't come up with the one verb. So I think it's important for the actor to be clear on what they're trying to do but whether you call that an objective, an intention, an action, whether you have your one verb or whether you just know what it sounds like and what it looks like and what physically you're going to go after, I think that's a lot more important to show the dogma uh, trip you up. I know it's important that when you're picking an objective to pick a positive objective because sometimes people will, if, if you know, the director says, what, what are you working on or whatever, the, the actor will say, I don't want the other character to leave the room. And the positive side of that is I want the other character to stay in the room. And that's, it's important that you frame your objective in the positive, I think. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that is because somehow, A, the positive thing allows you to act without having to wait for the other person to act. You know, you can begin your scene kind of regardless of what they're giving. Whether they're trying to leave or not. Whether they're trying to leave or not. And of course, what you want to do is react to what they're doing. But, but it stays alive. If, you're, if your thing is stop them from leaving the room, you only have an action as they're moving towards the door. Whereas if your action is keep them in the room, even if they're still sitting down, there's, there still, stuff, there's still stuff you can be doing to make them not want to get up and go. And the other thing that's helpful about that is the scene is supposed to be about what you want and making them confront it. And it's not simply about not letting someone else get what they want. Um, I mean, we've talked before, and actually it's, it's, you've brought it up before, Jenny, when you're doing an improv, that that is a trap that can happen. It's once you figure out what the other person is trying to get in the improv, that your objective can become stop them from getting that. 
But again, it's not about if you want them in the room, there's a reason you want them in the room. There's a reason that's your own reason that you want them in the room. And for the most part, you don't go through life just thwarting people. If, you're, if you stop someone from getting what they want, it is generally because what they want is standing in the way of what you want. Otherwise, you'd let them get what they want. I mean, sometimes what you want is to make someone unhappy, in which case yeah. part of that is... Well, no, but that can happen. Somebody is trying to make someone unhappy, but then you have all these options of ways to make them unhappy, and among them are to stop them from getting what they want. I, but I think also the thing is that having a positive objective leaves you with a lot of options. Because if it stopped them from leaving the room, well, then what you need to do is get between them and the door and shove them if they get close, as opposed to if it's make them want to stay in the room or make them stay in the room, you have a lot of ways that you can be away from the door and enticing them in or frightening them about what would happen if they did leave. I mean, that standing in between them and the door is one of the many options that you have to achieve a positive objective, whereas if it's a negative objective, all you can do is stop what they are actively trying to do. And sometimes in, I mean, in life, if you if you realize what somebody else's objective is, you might want to use that because... You know, what letting them get what they want might make them want to give you what you want. And I mean, that's how life works: is you compromise with people. You can do the same thing in a scene, which is once you realize what something somebody's after, you have more information that might help you to get what you want. And I think also that idea of a specific objective. I mean, that brings up something interesting: is that it allows for nuance. Because if you've decided this is the thing that is really important to me in the scene. There are other things that you can give up in order to get that, which is what people do in life. Whereas if, and I think a lot of what happens is if you don't have a specific objective and you just know there's supposed to be conflict in a scene, it just becomes fighting for the sake of fighting, as opposed to the nuance which happens when you're dealing with people about things that you're in conflict over. And I think something else is, which I think is, is really important, we've mentioned it before, but part of the reason that I think it's important to have an objective that is about the other person. There are some scenes where it really is about, I'm trying to get to my father's sick bed. He's dying, and I'm trying to get to it, and this person's stopping me. Well, in that case, getting to the sick bed actually can be a very uh, important and, and, and evocative and useful uh, objective, assuming the other person is providing an obstacle to that. And, and there are scenes in a play where that's appropriate. But as often as possible, it's about the other you want it to be about the other person because, and again, framed in the form of this is what I want them to do. This is what I want the other person to do because if your objective is something that you can do without the other person, your character could just leave the room and go and do it. If there is a reason to have the scene, it is because you need for the other person in the scene to do something in order for you to get the thing that you want. So even in that scene about trying to get to the father's sickbed, it could be, your objective could be to get them to let you out of the room. And it's still about them. Mm -hmm. I mean, your objective can start out, get to your father's sickbed, and as soon as they are trying to stop you, it can shift to get them to let you go. You said that, you know, in, in rehearsal, you want to try different objectives to kind of unlock the play. Is there ever a point where you kind of decide and settle, like, this is going to be my objective from now on? 
like in performance or up, you know, in tech or something like at, at what point is it, does it get settled or does it never? There's a variety of variable variables that you're working with in a play that present in a near infinite number of possibilities in terms of what you're going to address, particularly once something gets to performance. There's specific things I'll do tonight. I want to work on this. Tonight I'm going to work on this. That'll keep it fresh. But there usually is, in rehearsal, there's some point where there's always some sort of magical point, hopefully, if, if it's a good rehearsal process, where I, as the actor, have stumbled upon an objective that I feel is really effective. The other actor has stumbled on uh, an objective that really works for them. And at that moment when that run of, of, of a scene happens, you, you kind of feel it, you kind of know it, you kind of get excited about it because specific things were happening that, that energize you in a way and you sort of, not sort of, you wind up going home and going, that's the thing, that's the objective. As long as I do, you know, as long as I'm going after this, that's sort of the linchpin in which I can hang this character. That's the thing that's going on in the scene that I need to do that will energize it. So I think there's always sort of shifting variables around that in terms of what you're going to try to work on, and there may be adjustments to that. But I think there is a point in, in rehearsal where you, you settle on what that, not settle on what the objective is, you arrive at an objective that, that energizes you, energizes the other actor, energizes the play. It's, it's really kind of an exciting moment, and frankly, it's, it's a huge relief for an actor, because one of the, the best things about going into the rehearsal process, I believe I've said this before, is the not knowing. It's no fun to go into a play, into a scene, knowing everything, because I'm not going to discover anything, and I'm, chances are somebody who does know everything about a play or a scene, they're not going to be able to illuminate anything for the audience. To get back to Jenny's point, because there will be no surprises for the actor or the audience, but with that being the most exciting part is that not knowing and going in and exploring and and experimenting, there is underneath that a, a slight layer of panic in an actor of, I've got to figure this out, you know, particularly in those early rehearsals where you're trying and experimenting things that, and when the, that rehearsal is done, you say, okay, that's not it, that's not the thing I'm after, and you, you're comfortable in knowing that that rehearsal served its purpose um, and that whatever you attempt in that rehearsal is not something that's going to serve the scene and therefore is a useful experiment. There is for an actor a certain anxiety underneath that. I've, I've got to lock, I've got to unlock this, this, this play. I've got to unlock this scene because, frankly, I've got four weeks to put this thing together. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, I mean, I also find that from what I think you're leading to is that from a purely technical point, you eventually have to lock the play. You have to yeah. lock the play for before it opens. Before, it. and I find that if once you arrive at the the objective that seems to aid in telling the story that you've all collectively decided is the story that you want to tell, it helps to I I stay. Uh, that's what I'm going after every night. Now every day I'm a different person, so the things that energize me and the tactics I use to get that thing will change to keep it alive. But it's always the same thing I'm going after once it's locked. Okay. I mean, that's the thing I know, like, as a director, I know that the important thing to me is that this beat, this section of the play, is that what it's about remain the same. The exact inflections are going to change night to night, but that this section is about this person A trying to get this thing and person B trying to get this thing. And so it really is, to me, I think, ultimately, the story of a play is the story of the objectives that are worked out. Um, and, and I think that there's a lot of ways in which the rehearsal process 
sort of arrives, is a journey to the objectives that are going to work for this specific group of actors in this specific production of this specific play. And that that there's a lot of other work that we've talked about, about character history and emotional memory and all of the kind of stuff that you might do that I think by the time you get to performance, for the most part, is stuff that has just become such a part of your consciousness that it's just there. You don't think about it. That the thing that you really do play when you get up on stage is that objective that you've arrived at. Is you show up and this is the thing that I'm doing and all of the rest of the circumstances that complicate the situation, things like that, are things that just are and and you don't have to think about it. We've talked about having that link of information for for a character and for, for a world of a play. And the thing is, just like in life, you'll have this whole lake of information. You can't possibly be cognizant of every piece of information at all times. You know, that, that just, in, in, in life right now, there's things of which I'm aware, there's things that are absolutely true for me, that are part of my history, that are part of my, my emotional and psychological makeup that... Frankly, I'm just not aware of right now. I may be aware of them later. So att- it gets back to the point about attempting to negotiate all the variables in and all the facts and factors in a character's life is impossible. And it's it's like walk it's like trying to walk on stage literally with a two ton elephant on your back and, and balancing all of these things. I think as long as you have that lake of information and allow them to arrive to you during the course of play, you can trust your process that they'll be there. The absolute most reliable thing and the simplest thing, I think, is the objective. It's it's the most reliable, the most efficient tool that I think an actor has, which is why it's important. It's the thing that will energize you. It's the thing that will give you access to that lake of information. It's the thing that will make the play come alive for you every night. And I think something that really is critical, and it's something we have talked about in previous episodes about a lot of other things, but I think it's really important about about objectives, too, and obstacles, is that as an actor, and as a director working with an actor, your job is not to find the decoder ring that shows you the right answer of what is my objective supposed to be in this moment. That the objective, it's important, belongs to the actor and not to the character. The objective is the way that the actor has chosen to plug into what this character does. I mean, it also, because the actor is the character, it then becomes the character's objective. But it actually is important that it really does ultimately funnel that way, rather than the opposite way, which is it's the job of the actor to look at the script and say, oh, he says at the end, I just wanted you to love me, so I guess what he's doing is trying to get her to love him the whole time. May or may not be true, but the important thing is that, again, as you said, Tim, it's the thing that energizes and makes the play make sense to the specific actor. And you need to find that objective that you believe in that makes the scene, makes the beat, makes the relationship, makes the play make sense to you. And there may be lines that don't seem to fit in with that directly. But what you do in that case is you bend those to the will of the objective. And that's what makes these fascinating, surprising line readings. That line reading where it says, I love you. Oh, he must love you. There's a lot of ways to say I love you. There's ways to say I love you that mean I hate you. 
there, you know, there are ways to say I love you to say I'm not really sure that I, uh, that, you know, how I feel about you. Or there's ways to say I love you to say I really love her. You know, just because it's what the line says doesn't mean that it's what you actually want. And by taking the words and making them mean the thing that you actually want, which again should not be totally independent of the play, but should be when you look at the play and look at the scene, the the central truth that makes the scene make sense to you. Start there. It's actually Gene Lasko we've talked about before, one of our favorite teachers. Um, who uh, Do you study with Gene? No, I, I did. You did, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, uh, Tim and I both did. But one of the things he, that he used to say, and I'm sure other people have said too, is that the words come last. And I think that that really is a voice. You need to figure out the things about the world, the things that you want. I mean, obviously, you get a lot of that out of the words, but then you make the words do the thing. Right. You make the words do the play that you've decided to do rather than vice well, it's versa. Well, it's the thing that makes you the actor and not the playwright. And mm-hmm. the, the thing that I've heard you say a lot of times, and I, I, it makes so much sense to me, is that the play and the playwright, they've done their job. By the time you get the play in your hand, published, not published, whatever, it, the, it's done. Their job is done. Now, you, now it's your job to do something else. That's such a good point. The script is the skeleton. You know, the, the, the bone is this long, it's this round, it fits here. This bone connects to this bone. This line connects to this line. How you move those bones, how you move that body... That's the actor's job, is finding all the things that support that structure and then move it in the direction and in the manner in, in which you discover it in rehearsal. For me, that's an analogy that really, really works. That as someone who studies the method is a student of the method, we're not saying that the words are unimportant. No. I, I know that that's, that's an accusation that has been, been made of, of, no. of method-trained actors. It's not that the words are unimportant. It is that if we can find the underneath and the over the top, if we can find the blood and the tissue that's going to make those lines really, really move, mm-hmm. we'll really, again, get, to get back to what I said near the beginning of, of unlocking that scene and making that scene truthful. And if, if you seek that through objective, you'll find that. If you obligate yourself to what your sense of the tone of the text is mm-hmm. on a first reading, I, I think you're not going to discover a whole lot that's really going to make that scene alive. I would submit that when you go see a play, if you're unengaged in it, most of the time the reason you're unengaged is because the actors have not found a way to energize themselves through an objective. And what you're watching is sort of an approximation of the tone of the script as opposed to those actors being alive, doing something and using the words of that script to do it. Yeah, and that using the words is so, is so useful. So you don't want the words to use you. You want to go the other way, that those words are tools that you have to make the point that you have to make. And I think it's worth saying that, Tim, you just said that, are, are a playwright. I am a playwright, and I know when I write a play, I am writing, I'm writing thinking, I want to see what an actor does when they're given this club to come at the other person with. <laughs> But it's true. I mean, no, it's, you I'm know, the, the club of the words is, you know, that, that this is a weapon I've given them, but I want to see whether they sneak up behind them with it or whether they poke them in the face with it or whether they just threaten them with it. Right. You know, that all of those are very valid choices of things, you know, to do with that club. Um, and, again, that, that, that idea of you have a very specific objective, it makes you use the language rather than just report it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's what people show up to watch. That's such an important point. And I think something else that is just worth mentioning about objectives before we move on to obstacles is that it truly is the thing that makes a play worth watching. And, and I know this for a reason, um, which is that it really almost does not matter what you are playing. It is more interesting to watch someone do anything than it is to watch them pretend to feel something or even actually feel something. And it was actually, I mentioned in the introduction that when we did the Romeo and Juliet at Fordham, and again, with a bunch of very talented young college-age actors, but who had no training and did not know what an objective and an obstacle was. And really kind of when I tried to explain it to them, really didn't believe me uh, that it was worthwhile or real. And I will say, I remember when I was an undergraduate, I didn't have acting training I, until until graduate school. I mean, I was actually, I actually went to Fordham and was part of the same theater company that these people were in. And I remember the first time someone tried to explain to me what an objective was, that I was... I, I just thought he was talking crazy talk. And especially when we're going to talk about super objective, which we'll talk about some other time, which is the one thing that a person is trying to do all the time in a play. Um, and I just thought that was ridiculous. I didn't, and of course, it's not ridiculous at all. It's, it's, it's very useful. But one of the things that we ended up doing, because people would sort of, part of the time, know what they want, and the rest of the time, be acting. And... There was one time I, I pulled two of the actors aside, um, and I said, what I want you to do, just do an exercise for me. All I want you to do is, and I told one of them, pulled it aside, and said, I just want you to get him to sit on the second step. And pulled the other guy, I said, I want you to get him to stand on top of the platform. I said, that's all we're doing. Don't do anything else. Do the scene. Use the words. But don't try to play anything other than get him to sit in the step, get him to stand on, on the platform. They did that, and afterwards said to the group, so what did you think? Like, oh, that was so interesting, and you could totally see how, you know, how, how Capulet was upset at Tybalt for the fact that back in, and all of this stuff that people got out of the scene, and all that they were doing was something. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the scene, but they were doing something actually doing it, and it totally energized the scene, and again, what people got out of it was what the words said. By doing an objective that was not strictly, not only not strictly what the words said, but totally unrelated to the words, what the words said, it forced them to engage the text, use the text in surprising ways, talk to each other and deal with each other, and the audience, seeing people deal with each other, seeing people engage the language, seeing people use the language in ways that you really heard the words, they got the scene as it was written out of it, even though that had nothing to do with what they were playing. And that's actually something that I still use uh, from time to time as, as um, you know, especially early on in a process, um, a, a, as an exercise. Because it really, you can learn an awful lot about the text, actually, when you're not so busy working on it and just trying to do something. And when, the, when you get to the end of an exercise like that, where, again, you're just really trying to do something, even though it's not connected, you look back and you realize all sorts of stuff that you, that you found in the text and didn't realize. But again, it just is so important. It's so much more interesting to watch someone do something, do anything, than act like they're doing something. So, the flip side of the coin, those are the objectives. Those are the things you want to do. Then there are the obstacles, the things that are standing in your way of getting them. How do you choose 
effective and useful obstacles? I would say that part of having an effective obstacle is when you're choosing your objective, if it's an objective from the other person, lots of things about the other person are going to become obstacles. Because people aren't going to just do what you want automatically. You you have to get them to. So, you know, getting the other person to do what you want, whatever obstacles they throw up, if you've chosen something that's not easy for them to give you, that's, I think that's like most of it. Because if, I mean, can you really like give yourself your own obstacle? Can you get an obstacle from yourself? Yes. Sure. What is it? Yeah. Yes. While the other actor will definitely give you, you obstacles, it's vitally important for you to select your own obstacles as well. The reason being, uh, and let me back up a step. The manner in which I select obstacles is I try to find things that will make, that create a circumstance in the play in which my objective becomes more difficult to achieve. If, this is a basic, simple, goofy example, but if if I pick an objective of I'm going to get this person out of the room, there is, and that's the only variable I have, I'm getting this person out of the room, there's absolutely no reason for me to not literally hoist that person up over my shoulder and throw them out of the, of, of, of the room. There are now an infinite, infinite number of variables why that would not be an appropriate <laughs> way to actually get what I want, whether that obstacle uh, is the simple morality, that's not how you treat someone, that's not going to get me what I, what I want in the long run. That's the, the goofy version. And another reason it's important to pick your own obstacles and not rely on the other actor. A, trust that they will bring you obstacles. And it, what will be fascinating is watching two people deal with their own sets of objectives and obstacles. Because what that sets up is this really nice friction in which not only do you need to get something done, but you need to get something done in a very specific way, which can create all sorts of interest and conflict. The reason I don't rely simply on the other actor, but trust that they will bring obstacles, is because you don't know what obstacles they're going to bring you, and if they don't bring you any obstacles, the scene becomes very easy to accomplish and will be uninteresting. The example I'm thinking of is I was working, uh, it was very, very early work on a play that Kit directed called The Birth of Punk, and very, very early in the rehearsal process, we were working on a, a previous moment of the play of how my character and the character's girlfriend met, and I decided that what I was going to do was that when we met, I was going to get her to sleep with me. There was going to be an instant attraction. I was going to get her to be attracted to me, and I was going to get her to sleep with me. That was simple. There was no obstacle to that. That was the objective. Her objective was to sleep with me. (laughs) So basically, (laughs) the scene very quickly was... The scene was just sort of very simple emotional math. We came out, and it became this interesting thing where I realized, I'm like, like, wait, this is way too easy. And as the actor, I'm like, okay, this, this has become... You know, an easily accomplishable scene, and I didn't learn anything about either my character or her character, other than we were attracted to each other, which was an important point. But other than you know, other than knowing that, we, we didn't get anything out of rehearsal. Had I come with an obstacle in which that would have made that objective difficult to accomplish for me, or that it could only be accomplished under specific circumstances, I think we would have gotten a lot more out of the scene. So, trust that your scene partner will bring you obstacles, but it's, I think it's vitally important for the actor to have their own set of obstacles. And those obstacles can take a lot of different forms, and I think a lot of ways in which obstacles are often 
simply facts and circumstances that you build for yourself. You know, and I mean, we've talked about often, again, the lake of information you talk about, and sort of the world that you build that makes it complicated for your character. But one of my my favorite things is, is actually a scene in Macbeth, where it's right before Macbeth sends Banquo off to where he's ultimately going to be killed, and they're talking. But it's such an interesting way... If you look at it, the way they talk to each other is so interesting. And one of the things that's most interesting in it is in the stage direction. For reasons that are not entirely clear, unless you're paying attention, Lennox is in the room with them. Lennox never says anything. But based on what we know of Lennox and his loyalty to the former king and his loyalty or interest in being loyal to the sons of the former king, all of those things, Lennox is a very complicated person for them to talk to each other in front of. And if you keep that in mind, the way they talk, which is sort of circular and odd, makes perfect sense when you know what they're trying to communicate to each other, but what they can't communicate in front of Lennox because of what Lennox would do with the information. So, like, that's an example of Lennox simply being in the room provides a serious obstacle to the way, again, what you said is exactly right. Your objective is clear in what you want. The obstacles are the things that limit the ways in which you're going to be able to do it. And I also think it's, 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 it's worthwhile. I think what, what is very helpful is that you want ultimately to have in a given scene or in a given beat of a scene one objective, the one thing you're trying to do. The thing that makes it textured are going to be the many obstacles that you build for yourself. And I think that that idea of if you know you have several people in the room who each of whom have a different set of information and each of whom you don't want to reveal things in front of and also you're trying... I mean, for instance, even... I'm trying to get this character to do something and not hurt their feelings while I do it. I mean, that, for instance, is is an obstacle to try to get what you want without hurting the other person's feelings if you think that kind of the thing you want them to do is something that would sort of hurt their feelings. You know, that, that's, that those are things we, we encounter in life. And that that idea, again, of if you come up with one clear object, objective for a section of a play but provide many things that make it difficult to do. Again, something that uh, Gene Lasko again said, which I think is, is so important, is the harder that you make the situation on your character, the easier it is for you as an actor. Because you don't have to get up there and quote-unquote act. You just have to get up there and figure it out. How am I going to get this thing I want, given the fact that I don't have my keys with me, they're across the room, also this guy's mad at me and I'm tr- about something else and I'm trying to keep him cool about it because I don't want him to get involved in the conversation. And also this guy who's talking to me here, uh, I really know that two scenes from now I'm going to want him to do this and I, and I need... I, you know, I know that that's not even something that I necessarily want in this scene, but I know it's something that I want from him in the big picture, and I need to get this thing I want from him in this scene without screwing up the idea that I'm going to want to ask to ask to borrow fifty bucks from him in the next scene. You know, ha- you know, and it's 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 that idea of creating all of these variables of again things that make your character's job hard. So all you have to do is stand there and be a smart person and figure out what do I how do I say this line I have to say to him that will get me what I want and also not screw up all of these other things that either I don't want to happen or make it impossible for some things to happen. I think it's really important to put those obstacles in conflict with with your objective because it just creates this really wonderful 
tension and, and, and as you said, Kit, you, you watch an actor, you watch a human being attempt to negotiate a situation with another person. And it, it, again, to go back to Gene Lasko, one of the most valuable pieces of, of direction or teaching that he ever gave me was uh, I was working on a, a scene from Hurley Burley with a girl in another class, and he watched a rehearsal of it. And I was very clear what my objective was. And I was going after my objective, and there was absolutely no obstacle to me. I was going to destroy the room. I was going to do whatever I had to do to get what I wanted to get. And, and when I said after, she keeps leaving the room, he said, well, why would anyone stay with you? And my first reaction was, oh, okay, well, then I need to do something different. And his response was, no, no, keep the same impulse. Keep the same objective. Just know that these things that you're doing, you now can't do because it's going to make her leave the room. So I kept the impulse of wanting... You know, of, of what my objective was and wanting to tear the room and being so committed to it that I wanted to do these things and then knew that I couldn't. And for me, the scene then became very, very alive because I knew specifically what I wanted to do and knew why I couldn't do it. Um, and then having to deal with this person in that context just made the scene really, really come alive. And hopefully for both of us, but certainly for me. Yeah. And I think that that really is something, I, 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 a metaphor I've used four scenes often is the idea of it's a slalom course yeah. of, of skiing. You know, and the idea being that the the flags and the slalom can actually represent several things in that metaphor, but it all, but it does work for the for the obstacles too, is the idea of you want to keep the forward motion. That thing that you want in a scene, you need to keep alive, you need to keep moving down that hill. But you got these flags flying at you and you have to dodge your way around them. And I think Again, that's what makes it seem textured and interesting is, and again, a lot of times people have the impulse and it's like, oh, I'm running into this wall. Well, maybe I need to choose a different thing that I want, or maybe I need to want it less. No, you need to want it more, and you need to figure out a way to get it, yeah. given this problem that you have, because you have problems in life. I mean, you have simple problems of, it's against the law to bar someone in a room with you. You paid $500 for that table, so you're not going to throw it across the room. I mean, you are dealing with with innumerable objectives, I mean, obstacles, in any given scene. And then also there are the ones, again, that connect to the story, which is, you know, that, that you can say, I really want this person to do X, Y, or Z, but I also want this person's father to like me. So how do I do that in such a way that when they report back to the father about our conversation... The father's not going to, you know, be angry at me. Or even simply, I want this person to tell me that they love me. But if they tell me they don't, it is going to destroy me. So you have to ask, which is, I mean, that's something people encounter in life, which is that you have to get them to do that thing in a way that will avoid the really terrible outcome that you want to have happen. Well, also a, a common obstacle that people use, especially in the exploratory phase of rehearsal, is the idea of time constraints, where you need to get this done, and you need to get this done before so-and-so comes into the room, or, or having a time constraint really helps you to activate it, I think, in a way that will make something happen. Absolutely, and that's actually a great example of a place where, like objectives, it doesn't have to be something that is actually in the text. Mm -hmm. That, I mean, if it is, we need to get this done before Tim comes in the room. Well, we know reading the play, Tim doesn't come into the room for the next five pages. The characters don't know that. Right. You know, so as far as they're concerned, they may think we have one minute to get this mm -hmm. thing done. Again, it ups you're the not, stakes. Exactly. It ups the stakes and you're not obligated to the text. And I think two other things that are useful to talk about regarding 
obstacles is one, and this is something we've touched on in the past, but generally, emotion plays the role of an obstacle in a scene. And I think very often people think what actors do is they get up and they are very real and they are very feeling and absolutely actors are very real and very feeling. It is what you want in a good performance. But that emotion that you have is not the objective. And the mistake I think that people very often feel is, oh, I'm starting to feel like I'm welling up. I've got to build that because that's what I want. I want to show that I'm emotional. Whereas, in fact, if you are in a conversation with someone and you feel yourself welling up, there is almost no circumstance where that is not something that you want to stop from happening at all costs because people will not take you seriously if you appear to be emotional. The irony of that is if you try not to shut down the emotion but to push through it and get past it, to keep trying to get what you want, that is when the emotion is actually going to overtake you not when you try to foster it. And I think that that is just, that's the way ultimately that objective and obstacle work, is once you've built this lake of information, this very clear world that you exist in, that makes things complicated, that you care a great deal about because you've chosen things that you're invested in, and you choose an objective and obstacles that you are invested in, you will be up there trying to get this thing that you want, you will be be being thwarted by the other person, hopefully, or at least they're trying to thwart you, and everywhere you look, there is some problem that makes your job harder. If you are really invested in doing that, you will become emotional. And then if you try to battle through the emotion and not let it overtake you, it will. That's the way that emotion actually works on stage. And I think so often people start with, oh, this is the scene where I'm sad. This is the scene where I'm angry. And sure enough, then it becomes a scene where you're yelling or the scene where you put on a frowny face. But it's not the scene where you actually behave like people actually behave when they are sad or when they are angry. And actually, people are very rarely only one thing at once. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is from a film, but the lesson of this was, was so clear and so striking. Uh, and I can't believe I'm even going to reference this film, but... It, Bambi. (laughs) But (laughs) the extent of learning, um, there's a a scene in Bridges of Madison County (laughs) with Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep where uh, they're in the kitchen, I believe, and Clint's character breaks down and becomes very emotional and begins to sob. And Mr. Eastwood turned away not only from his scene partner, Meryl Streep, but from the camera. Actually turned his back to the camera and went through whatever uh, that particular emotion was for him, recovered himself and turned himself back around. And the story goes, I, I, I saw an interview where, where Meryl Streep was relaying the story, and she said, why did you turn away? That was such a great moment. And, and, and I think that's a lesson in itself. The temptation for any actor is when you have an emotional you know, reaction to something, we need to, we need to highlight that. We need to deliver that. You know, even, you know, the greatest living actress maybe ever is like, you know, we got to show that. And Eastwood's uh, apparent reaction, according to Ms. Streep, was nobody wants to see me cry. I think you can apply that in two ways. A, I think it's Clint Eastwood having a very great understanding of who he is as an icon. But B, the economy of that, of it's very truthful in the scene that rather than this man weeping in front of this woman, that he would naturally turn away, that the emotion was an obstacle to, to 
what he wanted their relationship to be, that he would turn away and recover until he could, you know, re-engage with her. That was just a really important lesson for me in that, to go back to what, what Kit said, your emotions are often obstacles in and of themselves. They're not helping you get what they want. They're, res- they're the results of your obstacle and your, object- your objective in conflict. And I just love that story of, of an actor having the discipline of storytelling, of saying, you know what, despite the fact that this may illustrate that I'm an emotionally available actor, that I'm an energized, active, emotional actor who can cry, which is, you know, for some amateurs, I think the barometer of whether you're a good actor or not. He had the discipline to know... And if you can do accents. Yes. <laughs> and that he had the discipline of storytelling and of his own craft to know the, the really truthful thing was to actually turn away from her and turn away from the audience. And I just think that's... It's a beautifully disciplined, truthful choice that he made there. And it is also really useful to realize that he is the director of that film also and did not call cut. That I I think by saying that emotion is an obstacle is not to say that emotion is unwelcome or not something you want. You do want it. Emotion is important. If you are able to be accessible and emotional, that is terrific. But you need to use it as an obstacle, which I, what we're saying here is you need objectives and you need obstacles, and that's what creates the tension that makes a scene interesting to watch. So it is not saying, don't be emotional. It is saying, don't let the emotion be the thing you're doing. When the emotion comes, find the ways, again, to connect into the situation, connect into the circumstances, do whatever emotional memory work, sense memory work, other things we'll talk about in other episodes, to make that emotion be there real for you, but then use it in the way that people actually interact with emotion in life, which is, again, not as the thing they're doing, but the thing that very often is preventing them from getting the thing that they're doing. And, again, I mean, it's an old saw, but it's true. It's much more interesting to watch someone try not to cry than it is to watch them cry. And I just think that's very simply true. The one other thing, just as a, from the point of view of a director, one thing that I think is, is very often useful, I mean, we've talked before about actors having secrets, is I think very often it's helpful if actors don't know what the other actor's objective is, what they're trying to get from them, because then it's unnatural. Because so It's actually something that's very funny, because I, I know this is a, a lot the way that I think about acting, uh, both as an actor and a director, but then also as a playwright. Jenny mentioned yesterday that almost all of my plays at some point have a line where they say, what do you want? What do you want, Hannah? Or whatever. That, that they're Almost all of, the, all of my plays have that moment in it. But it gets to that idea, which I do think is true, again, if what you're trying to do and what you want is not what it says on the page. That you can get to scene 15 in a play and have someone literally saying... What do you want? You have not told me. You've been doing all of this stuff in service of something, and I don't understand what it is. And you know that that and that's something I will say. I also I also find very troubling when people say, and you're talking about a line, and they'll say, "Well, it seems what I'm doing here based on the line." You can never tell what your character is doing based on a line in a vacuum. I'll put that forward. It is entirely about the way a conversation plays out, and whether you're telling the truth or whether you're lying, you don't know. But that idea, again, is as a director, 
it's helpful if people don't know what the other person is trying to do to them because a big part, again, of what obstacles and what objectives do is it forces you to listen to the other person, to figure out what they're trying to do and, and, and how it fits into what you're trying to do. And if you're just given that piece of information, it makes it less active. But also something that directors can do, and it goes a bit to, what, to something you were saying before, Tim, is if you are aware of what the actors want in a scene, of, of what their objectives are, if that's something that you talk, not all directors talk to actors about that, but if you do, that you can help guide the actors to mutually exclusive objectives, which I think are very helpful. It's helpful if they don't know that they're mutually exclusive. But if one of them, again, to use a very simple example, of one of them wants them to spend the night in this room, the other one of them wants to get in the car right away. If that's what they're working on in this scene, there will absolutely be conflict. You know there will be conflict because there is no way to resolve those two things that those people want. But again, if they don't know what the other person wants, they will be trying very hard to make the other person do the thing that they need them to do, not knowing that given what the other person wants, there's no way it will actually happen. And, um, you know, that is a way, again, that a director can really very actively make one actor's objective into a direct obstacle for the other actor's objective, which is helpful and is actually technically not something two actors can do for themselves. So I think that's a, a good place to wrap up. So for Jen and Jenny and Tim and Kerry and myself, thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing and would like other people to be hearing it also, please let them know the podcast is out there. If you are like what you're hearing and would like to subscribe, and if not yet, go to iTunes and give us uh, stars and ratings uh, to help get the words out. That's terrific. If you have uh, any questions or comments, please send it to podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. And if you want to know anything that the Cry Havoc Company is up to, places that you can come and see work that we're doing and uh, where you can find out about our other podcasts and programming, uh, go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.